like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Could you just say welcome back to She Pivots? Welcome to She Pivots? Perfect. (laughs) Welcome back to She Pivots. I'm your host, Emily Tish Sussman. We're releasing this episode in honor of Holocaust Day of Remembrance. I'm honored to be sharing the story of Elizabeth Fallick, who is the author of Renia's Diary. This book is an extraordinary recount written by her sister during the start of World War II. Just like Anne Frank, Renia's Diary is a record of her daily life as the Nazis spread through Europe. It's a moving and harrowing account of what happened during that time. And I want to take a moment, as a Jewish woman, the last six months have been extremely difficult. It's been a mixture of disappointment, confusion, anger, and most of all, fear. I'm so honored to have a platform to be able to share stories like Elizabeth, like Renya's. Those who went through the tragedies of World War II and the Holocaust are getting older, and their stories are more important than ever and relevant as ever. Speaking with Elizabeth, it was fascinating to hear how she and her mother survived the war, and even more fascinating to understand the perspective that she has now looking back on her experience, something she experienced over 80 years ago. Like many survivors, Elizabeth struggled to confront the traumas of her past after building a life here in America. It wasn't until she was married with children that she even knew anything about her sister Renya's diary. And it wasn't until a few years ago that she had the strength to read it. Elizabeth's life is steeped in a pivot that was forced upon her at a young age and has dictated how she views and approaches her life. I hope you get as much out of this episode as I did speaking with Elizabeth. Hi, uh, my name is, I was born Ariana Spiegel. Then 
when uh, during the war, when I was about 10, I was baptized and they named me Elizabeth Yaroslava Alicia Leszczynska. It was on false papers. And when I married George Bellock, who was six feet tall, I became Elizabeth Bellock, but still Elizabeth Y. Bellock. So right now, my name is Elizabeth Bellock. Elizabeth, previously Ariana, as she mentioned, was born in Poland in 1930 to an upper middle class family. She was the younger of the two siblings between her and Renia. She was six years older than I. My sister was an extremely intelligent girl. My grandmother sent her outside of school to this professor, Yershina. He was a Polonistic professor. So her Polish was beautiful. And, you know, during when we were in Warsaw and they read part of the books, they say that she was so sophisticated. There was a lady who was a literary critic and she read some passages of my sister's, you know, work. And she said how great was the Polish. I remember how we lived, how wonderful she was. She was so romantic. She loved life. She liked the birds sing. She liked the wind blow. She saw the, uh, tencha, uh, you know, the rainbow. She saw every beauty in everything, my sister. I mean, she was just great. My sister, unfortunately, had to go to school. And when my mother took me to be an actress, she could not manage my sister. But my sister adored my mother. And in the book that she writes, she writes that in every chapter. And she missed my mother terribly. And she missed the warm hands, the hug, the feeling of having a mother. She missed it terribly. And every step of the way, she writes, Timmy Pomoses, Bulushi Bose. You, we used to call my mother Bulush, whatever. And she writes, you will help me, Mom and Dad. So you were called the Polish Shirley Temple. Oh, yes, I was. I was Polish Shirley Temple. And I had a wonderful life. So there was this lady in Warsaw. My mother took me to Warsaw. My sister stayed uh, with my grandparents in the town of Przemysz in Poland. She studied and stayed there. And my mother took me to become an actress. So there was a lady in Warsaw who lived in a palace. Her name was Arsiszewska. She was Jewish. And she used to be an actress herself. And she took me under her wing. And she taught me all these wonderful poems, which I still remember many of. And I became an actress. I was in two movies. One was called Granica. And one was called Gehenna. And they wrote about me in a magazine and said, this is a, an our wonder child. My mother saved that. that 
So she had a little strip that's in the book, and it says, Ariana Polish Shirley Temple. And I was on the radio when I was five years old, telling my sister's poetry, actually. So my mother thought that my sister was gifted in writing, and I had a gift in speaking. I was also always in person in a nightclub called Cyrulik Warszawski, and I uh, recited many poems. So I recited poems of Julian Tuvim and Jan Brzechwa. They were wonderful, wonderful people, and they loved the way I recited the poems. So this is what I did when I was Shirley Temple. Do you remember when you started acting? Did you have dreams of being like a lifelong actress? So my career started when I was really quite young. My mother thought I was good. I guess I was. They sent me to ballet school. They sent me for piano lessons. They sent me everywhere to study. So I figured, well, that's my career. <laughs> so I went to school uh, very little, but I studied, you know, how to act. And I was with famous actresses in the movies, and I was very happy. And then it was the summer of 39. That's why we have all these pictures. My mother was in Warsaw, and she sent me to my grandparents. I would join my sister for the summer when the war broke out. So, of course, my career was finished, and I just forgot about it. I just went to Russian school. The Soviet occupied that town. It was a terrible life, but uh, I, my career was gone. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. Is she breathing right now? Yes, she's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. 
When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation... I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous (laughs) of your generation that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Do you remember, for you, the first time you started to feel things shift? During the war, when the Soviets arrived in 1939, there was fighting. You know, you were petrified walking on the street. The Germans started taking the coats away, the fur coats. They took the piano, they this, they that. I mean, they came to the house, you had to keep paying, I don't know what. It was a terrible situation. So when the Germans came, life became hell. They were shooting Jews right away. You had to wear a star. I didn't because I wasn't 12 yet. My sister had to wear stars. We were forbidden to go to school. They came, they confiscated our piano. Then my grandpa gave away all the fur coats to the Ukrainian men. They started to make actions, and they started to build the ghetto. For many months, the occupiers considered a project to create a Jewish ghetto in Warsaw, including its plan and location. In the end, it was decided to create a ghetto in the very heart of this metropolis. So now we are with the Germans, and life is terrible. There's building a ghetto. We lived in our building, and uh, the policeman comes and says, we have to move. We can only take 25 kilo each person. Now, what's 25 kilo? It's nothing. So my grandpa knows the policeman, he's Polish. He gives him something, you know, a little bit this and that, money, of course, and he says to him, listen, maybe you let us stay a while. So we are lucky. We stayed a while in our place, and then in the summer of 42, we finally have to move. So we are now in ghetto. While Elizabeth lived in the ghetto with her grandfather, still united with her sister, her mother lived in Warsaw. 
So we had a little communication with my mother, and it was really pretty bad. My sister, you know, she took care of me like of my mother when the Germans were on one side of the river, sun, and we were on this side on the river, and these were the Soviets, and these were the Germans. So one day, my mom came from the German side to the German side there, and we somehow were smuggled through, I don't know. So we saw her, and we found out she was alive. You know, it was some big story because we only saw her very little. And then she went back to Warsaw. She couldn't come back to us. And then we stayed and went to Russian school. My sister writes about it in the book. Now, when she was under the Russians in the school, she used to write poetry. For every professor said we need it for this or that, she would present it with a poem. She was a liter- president of the literary club. She was in some Russian paper. So she had a friend. Now she becoming friend. Now we got the diary, you know. So Zygmunt, is, Zygmunt Schwarzer is her boyfriend. He's a very cute guy. Oh, my God. He has green eyes, curly, dark hair. He's just a gorgeous guy. And he loves my sister. <laughs> Zygmunt becomes integral to both Elizabeth's survival and the survival of Renia's diary. Zygmunt becomes a friend. The girls are all jealous, and my sister is jealous. She, you know, half of these poems are to green eyes and whatever else, and some about the terrible war. So now we're living in a ghetto, my sister and I, very short time. Pressure was building and building quickly. So Zygmunt took on the responsibility to save Renya, Elizabeth, and his parents, later writing in the diary this passage. Quote, First of all, dear diary, please forgive me for wandering into your pages and trying to carry on the work of somebody I am not worthy of. Let me tell you that Renya didn't get the work permit stamp she needed to avoid being deported, so she has to stay in hiding. My dear parents have also been refused work permit stamps. I swear to God in history that I will save the three people who are dearest to me, even if it costs me my own life. So Zygmunt takes his mother, the father was a doctor also, and my sister, he takes him, I don't know how he takes him, who he bribes out of the ghetto. So he takes them out, and they're going to hide in the garret. And me... He, I don't know who he bribes. He takes me out, and I go to Jitka's house. So uh, Zygmunt takes me there, and I stay there a week. And when somebody knocks on the door, they shove me under the bed. You know, I don't know by now my sister has died, and so are his parents. Somebody ratted on them, and they killed them three. Three shots, three lives lost. It happened last night at 10.30 p.m. Fate decided to take my dearest ones away from me. My life is over. All I can hear are shots, shots, shots. My dearest Renia, the last chapter of your diary is complete. 
still in hiding. Elizabeth had no idea her sister had just been killed as Sigmund made arrangements for her to escape with a Christian man named Vicinski. This was the story. My grandpa gives me a little um, lunchbox to take and he says that inside is, you know, the gold, $20 gold note and they are pasted to my little thing inside and some gold things in the handle. And he says, you know, you probably need some money sometime. You'll be able to sell it and you have a little money if you need. So all I have is this little lunchbox, a little dress and a coat. That's all I have. Standing on the precipice of escape, little Elizabeth clenched her lunchbox on the train station platform, her last connection to her family. So I see the first time the railroad station that I was going to with what fear. And we have to change in Krakow. And in Krakow, there are all these Gestapo people. And with the dogs, you know, those big shepherd dogs, and everybody has to show the papers what it is, you know. And he's holding me by my head, says, this is my daughter. I have nothing, no papers, nothing. And that's it. We take another train to go to Warsaw now. And uh, we come to the station in Warsaw, and the guy suddenly appears and says, you know, I'm frightened, I'm scared. So I'm about nine, maybe. And he says, uh, you are carrying a, Jew- a Jewish child. So he's telling it to Mr. Leszczynski. And he turns to him. Now, he was nice-looking man with a, you know, mustache, elegant. And he says, get some red. And he said, if you think anything like that, I'm going to kill you. The man runs away. And I'm saved. He took her to live with the Baradia family, owners of a hotel. The husband is a Christian man who married a Jewish woman named Helena Baradia. She had two children. She lived on a fancy street. She had a butler, you know, they were wealthy. Now, Bereda is helping us. They helped my mother to get the false papers. He helps a lot of Jews, and he's helping me. So now he's going to baptize me, and they get me the papers. If it wasn't for the Christian guy, I wouldn't be here. But it was real, real. He took me under the, you know, he could have been killed any minute. And his kids, and his wife. But he, he wanted to save my life. It was there that little Ariana was baptized and named Elizabeth to hide her in plain sight. And I stayed there for a while with my mom. But they shoved me into a convent. One convent after another. (laughs) When you were baptized and when you started moving from convent to convent, 
did you think of it as just a way to survive and you still yes. thought of yourself as Jewish or did you really believe well, now? I I didn't know anything about the Catholic religion. What did I know? But the nuns knew that I was Jewish. Now, only the nuns know that I'm Jewish and baptized. Nobody else. And I feel funny, I must tell you. I'm put into this situation that is so novel, so much to me, but I play my role. Elizabeth remained at the convent until her mother was able to find work under her false papers and move Elizabeth in with her. My mother takes me where she lives and she works in Hotel Oropeski and I live with her now. I'm so happy. You know, I got away from this convent. How old are you about now? 10, 11, yeah. And uh, every Sunday we always go to church. So your mother used a connection, started working for Americans, and then used a connection to get to America. A German man, he's an officer, falls in love with my mom. So he falls in love, he wants to marry her, and said, Maria, that's her name, he gives her all kinds of papers now. And we get into an ambulance with a couple suitcases with a big red cross, and they take us to the German line to Germany. They drove down through Dresden, Berlin, and all the way through to Austria, where her mother found work. Not quite free, but safe. And it's the Americans who freed us in Bathgastein. And they're coming in, and we are just so enthused to see that now maybe we can be alive. So uh, she gets a job with the Americans. She and her mother would continue to live in Europe for the next year, making sure to keep their cover. So, of course, we go to church in uh, Germany every day. We live there a year. So then we finally get freed. Finally freed. Her mother knew that life for her and Elizabeth was not possible in Germany. So she began to arrange plans to either go to France or America. She says she's going to America. She just wanted a new life. She was lost everything, everybody. So my mom decided what she was going to do. So she goes to America, and the son of this Dubilier comes and gets us at the boat. It was called Marine Marlene. A diggy little boat. We we went to Bremen House, Bremen, where we lived also in a little camp till we got the boat. And it was December of 46. It was after the war, and my mother did everything. I don't know how she did so fast. The war was over in 45. She had all these jobs. She was just great. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. 
Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation... I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. You couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, they made it to America, ready to leave behind the horrors of their life before and build anew. So my mother sends me to a boarding school because I have no place to live. And she gets a job in Greenwich. And Kent House, my mother sent me. They gave me a scholarship. She had no money. So I went there. I graduated in 1949. Elizabeth was a brilliant student and went on to study at Columbia University, where she received her master's degree in child psychology. She later went on to teach in New York City, which is where she met her late husband, George Bellick. I met him teaching high school. I used to teach school for 27 years in New York City, but I retired in 1995. I was a public school teacher. First, I thought, I have two licenses, three licenses, one for Russian, one for German, and one for elementary school since they didn't teach my languages anymore. I went to Columbia undergraduate. 
I have a master's in child psychology, but I needed three points to be a guidance counselor, but I didn't feel going back to school. So my husband had a doctorate from Columbia, and he taught school and college for 45 years. She and George had two kids, her daughter Alexandra and her son Andrew, and built a beautiful life, setting aside the difficult journey to get there. Until one day, Sigmund showed up at her mother's doorstep with her sister Renia's diary. He finds my mother in New York, and he comes with this diary. We haven't seen him. How he found my mom? There was no internet. Mm-hmm. There was nothing like today. And he finds her, and there it is. She finds me and my mom. Of course, you can't imagine the crying that went on. You know, the premise of this show is that sometimes things happen to us, and when we're in it, we think, this is terrible, I'm never going to come out of this. And then we become who we are after it because of that thing that happened to us. So looking back, can you think of one moment where... You thought, okay, this is terrible. I'm never going to come out of this. And then turned to a positive. When we were in the ghetto, I thought that was the end. You have no idea. You're behind those wires. This part of the audio is a bit difficult to understand, but Elizabeth made the connection between the atrocities she and so many other Jews experienced and how it led to the creation and publication of her sister's diary. It was because of my daughter that this book is existing because it was in the vault. My mom never read it, neither did I. I started to translate and cry. The diary sat in the safety deposit box in possession of Elizabeth's mother until her tragic early death at the age of just 63. From there, it was Elizabeth's daughter, Alexandra, who pushed to understand what the diary said. Once she got a taste, she knew it was not only a historic document, but a brilliant piece of literary work. She worked tirelessly for over 20 years to accurately translate the more than 600-page diary. And finally, the book is translated into 22 languages. It's all because of my daughter. You know, I was christened, of course, and I went to church for years and all that. But of course, I was born Jewish. And now that the situation is bad, I want to defend the Jews. Why should they be so murdered again? That's not right. There's so few Jews around, for God's sake. Why should they be murdered all the time, hate like that? Hey, it's terrible. It never was like this when I came here in 1946. It wasn't that bad. It just developed now. I want to get more of your opinion on this, because I think for me, as a young Jewish person who grew up basically without anti-Semitism, I really wasn't aware that it existed in the same way that it did. It concerns me right now that not just the rise in anti-Semitism, but the apathy, I think, from non-Jewish people concerns me that it feels comparable to the apathy in 1930s and 40s. Well, you suddenly see people... They don't want to die. I understand the Palestinians. But it's not the, well, uh, you know what? It's false here and there. I don't think that Netanyahu was right, what he was doing. A trouble came. He wasn't aware that the people were right there. 
you know, rather than fighting with their own people, right? That wasn't so good. There should be unity, for God's sake. Look how I, we watched that uh, woman, Golda Meir. Look what a great woman. Now there was unity. You know, the Jews, a very small group, they got to have unity. Why hate people for religion? Hey, you go to church, pray. You go to synagogue, you pray. You go to a mosque, pray. You praise the God. Why? If you pray to God, you kill the other guy for God? Why? Terrible. That's why I think, for me, important to say that there should be more tolerance in the world. We need tolerance. We need acceptance. I, I don't know what suddenly happened. You know, it's weird. And it's in a short time, right? So my sister's book is very up to, up to it. Well, I, I know that we want to have time to go upstairs and play the piano, which I'm very excited to see. Um, but I know that we just need to get us saying goodbye and thank you so we can wrap it up. So thank you so much, Elizabeth. Well, it was lovely to meet you. Thank you as well. At 95, Elizabeth still lives in Manhattan and talks proudly of her children and grandchildren. Standing at barely five feet, Elizabeth has a wonderfully large presence and zest for life. Be sure to pick up a copy of Renya's diary. It is truly a historically important document. To learn more about Elizabeth, you can actually follow her daughter, Alexandra, on Instagram at Alexandra Bellick. Thanks for listening to this episode of She Pivots. If you made it this far, you're a true pivoter. So thanks for being part of this community. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, leave us a rating. Please be nice. Tell your friends about us. To learn more about our guests, follow us on Instagram at She Pivots the Podcast or sign up for our newsletter where you can get exclusive behind the scenes content or on our website, She Pivots the Podcast. Talk to you next week. Special thanks to the She Pivots team, executive producer, Emily Edavolosik, associate producer and social media connoisseur, Hannah Cousins, research director, Christine Dickison, events and logistics coordinator, Madeline Sinovic, and audio editor and mixer, Nina Pollock. I endorse She Pivots. like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. 
Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there.